Well, 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 welcome to another episode of the Fearless Parody Podcast Show. You know, parody doesn't come with a manual. It either does parody a child, preteen, or teenager. In fact, parody is very scary. It can cause every parent out there to be fearful, me included. The goal, the purpose of this podcast is to provide you with information and resources that help you overcome family life struggles difficulties and challenges and to be able to parent fearlessly. So every week we provide information and resources to help grow your parental leadership while growing the leadership of your child, preteen, or teenager. In short, we are here to help you and your children become the best versions of yourselves. So get ready and dive right in to today's episode. All right, moms, dads, and guardians, welcome back to the Fearless Parody Podcast. I have back with me Elena Robinson. Elena supports parents of toddlers, preschools, and kindergartners in understanding why their children are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, without shaming them, without a whole bunch of timeouts. So without further ado, one more time, here's Elena Robinson. Elena Thank you for being on my podcast once again. Thank you so much for having me, Stan. Now, where we left off last time, you you were telling my audience about the Parody Posse. And by the way, audience, uh, check out the podcast show description because we're going to have links to Elena and where you can find her as well as where you can go to subscribe to this podcast. But Elena, tell us about this Parody Posse thing, okay? First of all, What is a parenting posse and how did you come up with that name? So the parenting posse is my Facebook group and we called it the parenting posse. I didn't name it. My clients did um, because they felt like, you know, that whole adage of it takes a village to raise a child is broken. Basically in our modern age, a lot of my clients, a lot of me included, military wife, we're not close to our village. We're not close to grandparents. We're not close to our families. And so that kind of analogy of a village to raise a child is kind of broken down. Whereas now that we're all meeting online, we've got kind of like this mom gang or parenting gang mentality where we're all working together to support each other and being the best parents mm. we can possibly be. And so pulling resources. Exactly. We're pooling resources, even though those aren't the physical resources that parents have done in the past. Um, That's why we say it used to take a village. Now it takes a posse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, Back in the day, yes, grandparents could help out new parents and provide them with uh, sage wisdom and knowledge and things of that nature. But oftentimes with traveling and and, uh, your parents being over here, maybe in another state or while you're in the military, you may be overseas and they're in the States. And so you don't have them right there to speak into your life. I know for me, and I've said this before on my podcast, being a new dad, uh, I, I went in and became part of the ushers of my church because there there were a lot of experienced dads and husbands <laughs> that were ushers. And I can bounce questions off of them. I can ask them about things. And I think I was the wiser for it because there were certain areas that they had been there, done that, 
and, and sometimes even had the T-shirt. And, and so why go stumbling in the dark when you have somebody that can shed a light and help you walk the path that you need to walk? Exactly, exactly. This is not something we were meant to do alone. Parenting and raising children is not something that we were supposed to do in a silo or a vacuum. And unfortunately, the way that society has kind of evolved, a lot of parents are in a silo. (laughs) They are in a vacuum. And so with the Parenting Posse, we wanted to give a place for parents to go to ask questions And a lot of our members are parents who grew up in situations that weren't extremely positive. And so they're learning how to parent for the first time in a positive way. They're trying not to repeat the sins from their childhood. And so it's a great, very supportive community where we just, we help parents work through all sorts of different challenges so that they can be the parents they want to be to their kids. Well, I'm going to ask you now, bouncing off of that, to help my parents uh, sort of shine a light in, in some of the uh, dark places so that they can find their own path in, in helping their ch- kids, uh, you know, not be- misbehave so much or dealing with mm-hmm. misbehavior. You talk about three mistakes parents make that actually cause misbehavior. Yeah. So let's talk about those. What What are those three mistakes? Let's start with number one. What's the number one mistake parents make that actually caused the misbehavior they don't want to see? Yeah, the first is telling children what not to do instead of what to do. And I've demonstrated this to parents before by, um, I actually did this with a group of special forces soldiers recently, where I gave them all the ingredients to bake a cake. And then I had the recipe standing up at the front of the class. And I was like, all right, do not put all of your wet and dry ingredients into one bowl. Do not whisk your eggs and your flour together. And I told them all of the things not to do to bake this cake. And when I tell you that they were so frustrated that a highly trained soldier chucked a bowl full of batter at my head... I, I love it. I love it. I love it because you are absolutely right. You get more of what you praise than what you criticize. Exactly. And so they these soldiers, they were so frustrated with me. And I was like, this is exactly what we do to children when we tell them, don't hit. Don't slam the door. Don't leave your shoes in the middle of the floor. Don't yell. Don't scream. Don't be so aggressive. Well, okay, what should I do? And since we're not telling them that, since we're not teaching them what to do in those scenarios, we basically pigeonhole them into the situation where they have to throw spaghetti at the wall and hope it sticks. It's a process of elimination. And what parents see that as is defiance, not listening. Mm. Big time misinterpretation, big time misinterpretation. And, And it just tumbles down into what bad situations go follow another bad situation because you make a bad decision and that causes another bad decision simply because you didn't step back and tell them what to do rather than what not to do. Exactly. Most parents think like, if I tell my child what not to do, that is telling them what to do because they should do the opposite. But a lot of behaviors for children don't have a direct opposite. 
For instance, I used to work with a little boy and he had a really, really, really difficult time with hitting people. And he would get very frustrated and he would come at you with fists swinging and he would not stop until he had calmed down. And he was on his, I think, 10th early interventionist when I started working with him. And everyone was like, good luck, this kid, he's going to beat you to a pulp. The first thing I did once I had gotten to know him a little bit was say, hey, I'm not going to let you hit me. If you need to hit something, you can go hit this punching bag over here in the corner. And the look on his face (laughs) when he realized that it wasn't the hitting that was the problem, it was what he was hitting that was the problem, was like this massive light bulb moment. His whole face refocused him. You refocused him. Exactly. And and that helped definitely with his behavior. You know what? I'm going to steal that from you uh, because I I know some men and leaders that, you know, I'm going to do a training session, a little cake thing. Hopefully you don't mind me borrowing. No, go for it. It's very powerful. Excellent, excellent example. Uh, because as you were telling me that, I was like, oh my goodness, boy, I can see how that would get frustrating big time. Right. Because if I'm frustrated and I need to hit something and when it comes to sensory input, like hitting or throwing or biting or screaming, all of those are sensory needs. They're not choices that we can just turn off. It's something our body needs to do in order to feel safe and loved and protected. And so by redirecting that into an acceptable outlet, we pretty much eliminate the misbehavior because kids don't want to misbehave. It doesn't feel good to constantly be reprimanded and to constantly fail to meet the expectations of the people you love most. They want to do well and they will do well if they can. So when we give them those opportunities to do well by saying, hey, okay, you made a really poor decision in this situation. Here's what you can do next time this happens that is not going to get you in trouble, that's not going to hurt people or property. They do it. Well, that kind of touches on that second point you were talking about, uh, about being when parents are reactive instead of proactive. Mm. When they're reactive, it causes problems. When they're proactive, it it's the solution to a lot of the problems that are going on. And, and it makes all the difference in the world. But just explain to my parents how being proactive rather than reactive makes such a big difference. When you're proactive, you try to anticipate where your child may have problems and prepare them for what to do in that situation. I often use the example of taking my two-year-old to a funeral for the first time. And obviously, it's a very solemn environment. It's in a church. It's quiet. It's not the place for a two-year-old to be running around doing laps. <laughs> and so, uh, and exactly, as they tend to do. And so prior to taking him to the funeral, I wrote him a little story about what was going to happen at the funeral from the moment that we got out of the car until the moment we left, just as it was expected to happen. I, in that story, I told him the rules of like, we have to be quiet in the church. There are going to be people who are sad. Um, It's okay that they're sad. We're not trying to cheer them up in this situation (laughs) and gave him all of those expectations ahead of time. I also gave him outs for when he couldn't meet those expectations. I told him how to say to me, mommy, I can't be quiet much longer. I need to go outside. I told him how to ask to go to the bathroom. I told him what to do if he felt like he needed to make a big sound. And so that when we went to the funeral, he sat like a little angel and he did. There was a few times where he 
bumped me on the knee and he was like, I need to run and I can't sit for much longer. And we quietly took him outside, let him run around like a whirling dervish for a few minutes and then brought him back in. And everyone was raving and ranting to me about how well behaved and what an angel he was. And I was like, this is not by accident. <laughs> this is because I intentionally set him up for success. I was proactive instead of waiting for problems to happen and then solving them and feeling stressed in the moment. And this is what parents do so often. They wait for a problem to happen before they address it. It's almost like we're afraid if we talk about it before it happens that we're going to manifest that problem. <laughs> it's going to become a self It's just going to develop right there and everything's just going to burst into chaos. Exactly. Okay. So, so gotta, and I know why this is hard for parents because unlike a lot of other things that we teach kids, a lot of parents don't know the progression of skills. They don't know what is appropriate or how to teach their child proactively to behave well in these more stressful situations. And so they just don't. They just wait for the problem to arise and they hope that the problem doesn't arise. But that's usually usually setting yourself up for failure. Hope, hope is just not going to do it. Hope is not going to do it at all. So the, the third mistake you you talk about uh, has to do with uh, how to work with your child to create trust, safety, and understanding in your relationship. So uh, I'm assuming there that there's something that we do that doesn't create trust, safety, and understanding in the relationship. And what is that? So when we punish our kids or when we get upset with them for misbehaving in a situation that we didn't prepare them for, that really erodes the trust, safety, and caring in a relationship, right? Because children feel like they've been tossed into the deep end of the pool and told to sink or swim. And so that they're always on high alert. They're always waiting for the other shoe to drop and they're always waiting to get in trouble. And it's very, very difficult to behave well when you're expending so much energy keeping yourself safe. Whereas when we collaborate with our children, like I said about talking to my son and writing him a little story about what a funeral is and how it works and all of the expectations that were going to be on him in that situation. When we collaborate with them, whether the problem has happened or not, that really creates that trust, safety, and understanding. And so an example of this would be like my son, when he first started kindergarten, he kept snitching toys from the classroom. He kept coming home with all of these toys that were in the class. And his teacher was like, we're having to get him to check his pockets every night when he comes home because he keeps stealing toys. And so instead, Instead of yelling at him or giving him a lecture about how stealing is wrong and if you steal, you're going to end up in jail and blah, 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 lecturing about what he, he did wrong, I was like, hey, so what's going on here? Why do you keep taking these toys home? And I got curious about why this was happening. Now, luckily, I've been collaborating with my son for a very long time. So he just came right out and told me and he was like, I've been wanting to play with this toy all day and three other kids had it before me. And then the teacher said it was time to clean up and go home. So I put it in my bag so I could play with it. And I was like, fair enough. You're four years old. That sounds like a plan. Or four year old. Okay. I, I, I get it. <laughs> now you know specifically what the refocus there. Exactly. So in that time I was like, okay, so how could we make it so that you don't bring the toy home? but you still get a chance to play with it at school. 
And we came up with a whole bunch of different solutions to that, which we were then able to take to his teacher and be like, hey, so the reason he keeps stealing toys is because he doesn't feel like he's ever getting a chance to play with the toys he wants to play with in the classroom. So could we start teaching the children to keep a wait list for high demand toys? So that because part of his problem was that, you know, he'd ask a child to play with the the dump truck and then this other kid would go and take the dump truck afterwards and his turn was lost. Right. So how can we solve that? Well, with the wait list, they were all learning to write their names anyway. It worked perfectly with their goals in the classroom. Um, Another problem was that often he didn't know where to put the toys that he had kind of hoarded during the school day at the end of the day he didn't know where they went in the classroom and at that point he felt like if he took them back to the teacher he was going to get in trouble for hoarding the toys so it was like could we have like a lost and found bin that kids can put toys that they don't know where they belong into so that then they can be put away as a group and it's not like this marquee over a child's head saying hey you took a toy um they implemented that problem solved the other problem was that he was often putting toys in his pockets so that he would get to play with them continuously. And then he'd forget they were there (laughs) and he'd come home and he'd be like, whoops, (laughs) I didn't mean to keep this car in my pocket. So part of what I did for him was he has a checklist that goes in his bag at the end of every day. We're in Canada. There's a lot of stuff that kids have to bring home at the end of the day, especially in the winter. There's hats, there's mitts, there's scarves, there's boots, there's snowsuits. It's it's a lot for a little kid to remember. So, I gave him a checklist that's in his backpack that says, make sure you have your lunch bag, make sure you have your hat, make sure you have two mitts, make sure you have your neck warmer. And so at the top of that list, I put give toys back so that when he went to check his list at the end of the day to make sure he had all his stuff, the first thing on that list was a reminder to empty his pockets before somebody else came and told him to empty his pockets. Wow. And once we got those three things implemented, the stealing stopped. So that would not have happened if I hadn't asked my child what the problem was and then solved that problem specifically instead of pontificating or moralizing to him about what I perceived to be the problem. And that's why collaboration is so important. Right. And, and before that, because I was just going to mention that the collaboration that you did beforehand See, what you do, Aleda, is you're you're actually connecting. You're not just communicating to your child. You're making connections. As John Maxwell says, you know, a lot of people communicate, but very few people actually connect. And if you want your child to do what it is you want them to do, you have to be able to connect, or in this case, as you're talking about here, collaborate. Aleda, Tell my parents where they can find you on the web and social media. You can find me at alanarobinson.com. Alana is spelt with two L's, one N. And you can find me on Instagram at Parenting Posse and on Facebook, as we were talking about in the beginning. My Facebook group is called The Parenting Posse with Alana Robinson. And we have over 10,000 families in there ready to talk through all of this with you. And I encourage you to uh, follow her on Instagram and, you know, keep up with what's going on with the Parenting Posse. And I want to encourage you to also, hey, if you haven't subscribed to the Fearless Parenting Podcast, you need to subscribe. Love you downloading episodes. That's outstanding. But I need for you to subscribe. Yes. And check out 
the podcast description each and every week because I'm going to have the links to where you can find Elena and you'll just be able to click and go. Same thing with her social media. You'll be able to click and it will take you there. So make sure you check out that podcast description. Elena, thank you for being on my podcast. I, I like to do one more segment with you, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Outstanding. So I'm going to have her back once again. So moms and dads, until next time, God bless. Well, that concludes another awesome episode. Please, please check out the podcast description where you'll find links to family and parenting resources. And I want to thank you, moms, dads, and guardians, for listening to today's Fearless Parody Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show and that it added value to you and your family. And I want to leave you with something that was once said by two-time Nobel Prize recipient Marie Curie, who once said that nothing in life is to be feared. It's only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. That is why we have this show, to help you understand more about parenting so that you can fear less. So I want to challenge you, like I always do, to go forth and fearlessly parent. God bless.